What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the magnificent Monday edition of The Yard, hope things are well with you wherever you are today. It was an eventful weekend for Mississippi State Athletics. We're going to break it all down. Mississippi State men's basketball ends the regular season with a, a close loss at Auburn. Had a chance to win that ball game, couldn't pull it out. They will be in action later this week in the SEC men's tournament. And then, of course, uh, Mississippi State baseball, softball, big wins over the weekend. Uh, so we'll talk about some of that. It was a crazy weekend at Duty Noble. So we'll talk about attendance a little bit we'll talk about pitching we'll talk about offense and we'll talk about the no hitter great 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 stuff i'll tell you it's one of those things where as it's happening you kind of begin to ask yourself is is this really going to happen i mean is this is this really going to happen and then the closer it gets to it you know people talk about jinxes i i don't i don't really believe in jinxes you know especially for fans and for people like ourselves, I, mean, I think we can kind of say and do whatever we want. We don't have any impact on that sort of stuff. But when it's happening, in the moment, you start thinking, I don't want to say anything. Because you don't want to, you don't want to change the juju, right? I mean, you know, it's like you get some mojo roll and you're like, you know what, I don't want to do or say anything different than we've done. And superstition kind of takes over. But what a great, great day at the ballpark today. I mean, it was wonderful. It was good weather. Not great. Could have been a little bit warmer. It was really good weather. It was a decent crowd. Not a good crowd. A decent crowd. I was, To be honest with you, I was a little disappointed in the crowd this weekend. A little bit disappointed. I'm not going to belabor the point too much on that. But I uh, really thought we'd do a little bit better uh, than we did. But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit after the, uh, after the first break. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where you get hung up in all this. And, uh, you know, I, I would say this. You know, to just about anybody, because I think it's important. After what we dealt with on Saturday, where we probably played our worst game of the year. I mean, in many respects. I mean, we, we didn't play well defensively. We didn't hit the baseball well. That was the biggest disconnect. And you got to give Luke Albright, the pitcher from Kent State, a lot of credit for keeping us off balance. That guy is a sure enough big leaguer. But here is why losing the way we did on Saturday hurt us all as much as it did is because every year we kind of ask ourselves is this the year and you know what I'm talking about right we're only in this for a national championship now we're not just hoping to host we're not just hoping to get to Omaha we're ready for a national championship at Mississippi State matter of fact it's overdue 
we've all invested so much emotional energy in it. And so every year we say, you know what, maybe this is the year. Even if it's a year that we're not great, we just think, you know what, if things fall just right, maybe we get the right breaks, maybe somebody gets hot late, we're playing our best baseball at the end of the year, and maybe this is the year. And then we have a loss like we did on Saturday. And in the back of our minds, we start thinking, you know what, we haven't even started SEC play, and it's not going to be the year. That's how it feels. That's the great thing about baseball, is you don't have to linger with those emotions for very long because you're going to be able to play another game very, very quickly. And so then all of a sudden we go out there on, on Sunday, and we look like the number three team in the country. We didn't look like a top 25 team on Saturday, and that's kind of how baseball is. It's not like football, you know, where you can just go out there and out-athlete people. You have to out-execute people in baseball. you got to execute pitches. you got to execute defensive plays. you got to execute it to play. You know, there's a lot to it. And, you know, and I've said this many times, you know, we have been great in baseball for 130-some-odd years. And there have been few years in there that we have been an also-ran in college baseball. We've had some years in there that we didn't live up to our potential and certainly not up to our expectations, but we have always been a factor. We have been a national power in college baseball. And the only thing that's missing in the Mississippi State baseball experience is a national championship. And so that's our investment, right? There are other teams out there that says, man, I just want to make it to a regional somewhere. Well, that, you know, that's an average year at Mississippi State. That's not even a good year. You know, a good year for us is when we host. A great year is when we're a super regional host or a top eight national seed. But, you know, our expectation is, is to get to an NCAA regional even in a rebuilding year. It doesn't always work out that way, but that's how we feel. And that's kind of been the precedent for us. Is you know, when we're good, we're in the NCAA tournament field. And then kind of based on the draw there, sometimes we might can make a great run late. But that's the investment for us. You know, some other people out there are thinking, you know what, man, I just want to be this. I just want to be that. We want to be the last team to win. We've been the last team to lose. We've been the next to last team to lose. We've been very, very close to winning a national championship a few times. And so when baseball season starts every single year, we say, you know what? We got a shot. We got a shot because we're Mississippi State. And there have been a lot of great people that have come here that have kind of sown their own blood, sweat, and tears into this program. And we're ready to be national champions. We got the greatest college baseball stadium in the country, bar none. I don't care what the internet polls say. I don't care what, you know, self-serving, non-traveling fans have to say. We have the best college baseball facility in the country. We have an athletic department and a president's office that is committed to baseball as much, if not more, than anybody in the country. We are invested in winning a national championship at Mississippi State. Chris Lamonis himself has shared with me on the record, it is simply a matter of time before Mississippi State wins a national championship. And it's one of those things you kind of scratch your heads about. You look at Florida State, you look at Mississippi State, and you say, that's kind of weird. How does that happen? You know, I don't know how it happens. But I know that I'm tired of it happening, and I'm ready for us to win a title. And so we get through Saturday, and we begin to kind of question ourselves and question our team. We kind of question, you know, what our, our prospects for this year. And then you get into Sunday, and you see a bunch of newcomers 
go out there on the mound and just absolutely light a fire. And all of a sudden you think, you know what, maybe this is the year. Maybe, just maybe, this is finally our year. I tell you somewhere where it's always your year is Bulldog Burger Company. Man, I tell you what, I'm really excited about Bulldog Burger Company. I had a chance to visit with John being here recently. John been a great friend of the show for many years. And John shares with me, you know, how great things are going. They're, they're making some changes to the menu. We shared that on the show a couple days ago, and I want to share it with you again now. because I think it's important that you kind of keep up with that. Some of you guys are Bulldog Burger Company veterans, right? And so you, you, you've been there and kind of done that. And you're thinking, you know what, Steve, I kind of know my own favorites. Well, there are some new things, some new contenders have emerged here as of late. You need to go by and check them out. I, I can't wait. I'm going to be there this week. We had we got five baseball games this week at home, but I'm going to get by there this week, and I'm going to go by and uh, and try some of these new items on the menu. You should as well, as I'm sitting here kind of going through my uh, email. It's incredible how many emails I get. I, I declared email bankruptcy when I left corporate America, but I still got a ton of it. But uh, let's look at some of these new items on the Bulldog Burger uh, Company menu. It's uh, it's great, <laughs> and I tell you. What I understand, they're running these things as specials, and you guys loved them so much because they try everything as specials first, right? And then before they put them on the menu, these guys are absolutely selling these like hotcakes. All right, so new items on your menu. New items on the menu. The Grilled Chicken Club, that's going to be my first one this week. The Grilled Chicken Club sandwich, and listen to this. Grilled chicken breast on Texas toast. That's the winner already. Cheddar, Monterey Jack, mayo, sassy sauce, fried green tomato, bacon, bib lettuce, and tomato. I'm in. The tuna burger. I eat tuna season with Old Bay, uh, sesame aloe, and bib lettuce, tomato, uh, pickled red onion, fried wonton. That sounds kind of intriguing, right? And then full of bologna. That's kind of one of the newer ones. Uh, six ounces of a burger patty topped with fried bologna, cheddar, bacon, green tomato, chow chow, truffled mayo, crispy onions, and a fried egg. That's an awful lot of protein. Go by and check it out. Again, my first one's going to be the Grilled Chicken Club. I cannot wait to go try that. Probably do that uh, Monday or Tuesday. Bulldog Burger Company now with two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark Vegas and on Gloucester Street in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M E A T. All right, let's talk about Friday. There were some, there were some high points and some low points on Friday, some teachable moments, even though we earned a victory. Uh, so let, let's go ahead and start with we did not get a great start out of Christian McLeod. I'm not going to sit here and bash on Christian McLeod. I'm a Christian McLeod fan. I firmly believe that he is going to get this thing turned around. He's had three starts now, and he's been really good the first time through the order. The second time through, he's had some real difficulties. Let's take a quick look here and just kind of see how it all went down. Uh, Christian didn't even make it out of second inning. And, again, I'm not going to bash Christian McLeod. Some days you don't have it, some days you do. But, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't get what we had hoped for. In the first inning, you know, we go right back out there, and uh, it's a single to center field to start it. And then we get a sack bunt, and then McLeod throws the ball away. So now all of a sudden you've got runners uh, – you know, on the corners with nobody out. So you feel like right there we're going to at least give up one run. We did. There is an infield hit there that uh, you know allows the run to score. And then there's runners at first and second. Carew take – then we get Turner swinging, and then we get a, a stolen base against us. But there are two down in the inning, and then we get another strikeout. And so that's a strikeout throwout deal, right? You don't, you don't see that very often anymore. And so they had the potential for a big inning there. We kind of flirted with disaster, but Christian minimized the damage with just a one run there. And uh, so we're thinking, okay, uh, 
we're good. And then we go down immediately, and Rowdy gets that leadoff triple. And then DeBrul beats the ball on the ground like a seasoned hitter will do. The run scores. Now it's a 1-1 ball game. We don't do much else in the inning. But we get into the second inning, we're thinking, okay, we've pulled even. We're not chasing the game anymore. We get Matthews looking on a full count, and that was one of the consistent themes with Christian is we just had trouble kind of finishing hitters. Then we get into a full count to Mac Timbrook. Start out 2-0. We work our way back, work our way back. We can't finish, and he hits a home run. Now it's a 2-1 ball game. We follow that up with a walk. Then we get the strikeout looking, and you're thinking, okay, we're a pitch away from getting this thing out. <clears throat> Two shots, singles to short. It's an infield hit there, really a tough play there. And runners at first and second. And then we back it up. Again, we get behind a hitter, and then we walk him. And so now the bases are loaded again. And then uh, there's a wild pitch, and a run scores. So it's 3-1. And then we walk the next guy on a full count. And then we pulled him and brought in Brandon Smith. And so if you go back and look at this here, Matthews full count, Timbrook full count, uh, Dobas full count, uh, Carew full count, Mickness full count. You know, so it's like we had the pitch count running up, and we just simply couldn't finish hitters. And some of that, as Chris Lamona says, we're nibbling around the plate a little bit. I know many of you are thinking, you know what, it's time for us to move on from this. Listen, Christian McLeod was without a doubt our best pitcher in 2020. He went 4-0, uh, was very rarely scored upon. He was one of the best pitchers in America. He can regain that form. Now, one of the things that happens with some of those guys like him that are going to be draft eligible, there is all that in the, in the back of their minds. It's, you know, it's like, I tell you, one of the things I look back, like 16, right? Dakota Hudson had thrown 12 career innings. And Austin Sexton had kind of been just kind of a middle reliever and a spot starter. Those guys just wanted the baseball. You know what, Steve, give me the baseball, and I'm going to go win you 10 games. And then we'll see what happens with the draft. That, that mentality usually works best. Now, I'm not trying to say that Christian doesn't have that, but my hope is he will have it kind of moving forward. I would, I, he would start for me again this weekend. I don't know if he starts on Friday. Eastern Michigan, not a great team. Maybe a good opponent for him to kind of work some things out against. But I wouldn't give up on him just yet. I know many of you are ready to move on because you're thinking, you know what, man, we can't keep having these deals where, you know, we're getting – we can't get out of the second time through the order. You know, I remember how well he pitched against Texas and all of a sudden he kind of hit a brick wall up there. But, uh, you know, he has just not had a good start to the season. But he is a very talented guy that throws a lot of great pitches. And I think – listen, I think what happened today in many respects watching – uh, Jackson for us to go out there and play the way that he did. My hope is it will inspire the rest of that staff because after McLeod left the game, uh, the game was over for Kent State. He leaves down 3-1. Kent State did not have a base runner the rest of the ball game until the ninth inning. That's right, ninth inning. They get a couple runs there in the second, and, and most of that self-inflicted. I mean, they hit the home run. As part of baseball, but then you get the walk and you get an infield hit where you kind of played back on the ball. You get another walk, wild pitch, another walk. You know, that's the game of life is a lot like baseball. It's incredible what happens when you throw strikes, right? When you start nipping and trying to get people to kind of give you the game, it struggles. You got to go beat people. And so Brandon Smith comes in, and a lot of people are saying, you know what, Steve, Brandon Smith should start. You know, I can't argue against that. You know, Brandon Smith has some dog in him. 
And you saw what he did against Tulane, and yes, he yelled at their dugout. And, uh, you know, you can say what you want to about that. Uh, I like a guy that uh, is really to get out there and compete. So Brandon comes in, and it is a phenomenal outing. So in the third, it's one, two, three. In the fourth, it's one, two, three. And then finally in the fourth inning, Mississippi State gets a couple things together there, and uh, we, we can't get it going, right? We ended up getting bases loaded to bring in uh, Colin or Mel, who gets a couple of Ks to get out of it, and you kind of felt like, you know what, that was our big chance. But Brandon Smith kept us in the ballgame. Fifth inning, one, two, three. Finally in the fifth, we break this thing open, finally. Uh, Rowdy gets an infield hit, DeBrule walks, and then Tanner – uh, gets an RBI single. It's a 3-2 ball game. And then they walk Logan Tanner. Uh, runners first and second. Hatcher's hit by the pitch. And then uh, they push the run across there because the uh, bases were loaded there. Yeah, so so then uh, Luke Hancock gets a single, knocks in two RBIs. State has the lead at 5-3. And then Cam James gets a fielder's choice and a run scores to make it 6-3. And then we tag on one more late. Uh, Landon Jordan singles through the right side. And Cam James scores. So it's 7-3. And the way Brandon was pitching, you felt like, you know what, we're in good shape here. And then Brandon kind of put us on his back and said, y'all just come on, I got you. We get to the six. It's a 1-2-3 inning. We go and put some guys on base again there in the six. We can't push anything across. We get into the seventh. We bring in uh, Will Bednar, right? This is after Brandon Smith has basically just, you know, looked Kent State in the mouth and spit in their face and dared them to spit back. And so Bednar goes out there and shows everybody why he should be starting on weekends when he's healthy. And my hope is he takes his spot this coming up weekend. The guy's legit. Uh, you come in, you get a one, two, three, and line out a second and a K and a K, right? So clearly he showed what he's got. State again gets a couple things going in the seventh, but uh, can't push anything across. We get to the eighth and we bring in uh, Kessler, right? Carlisle Kessler. And he goes one, two, three in the eighth. And I really thought, you know, in many respects, the game kind of ended there. Bottom of the eighth, we get an insurance run uh, late. Logan Tanner drives in a run on a full count there to drive in Tanner out, make it to eight to three. We get into the ninth. We walk the leadoff hitter in the ninth, their first base runner since Christian McLeod left the game. And that's not to throw shade at Christian McLeod, but it's really just to show how dominant your, your bulldog, bulldog bullpen was is that they come in uh, with the, the, the bags jacked in the second inning, and then they don't give Kent State any room to breathe the rest of the ball game. Absolutely outstanding effort. We get on, get on out of there, and we get to the house. So we get a win there, and uh, Kent State had thrown their number two. I kind of get it, but, uh, you know, they, they throw him so they could have their ace going against what they thought was our number two. But uh, a couple highlights here. Rowdy Jordan, two for five with a couple runs scored. Um, that that's really your offensive hero of the day. We hit, we scored eight runs on six hits. We just we even though we won the ball game, you kind of left a little bit unfulfilled. It's like the big story was how dominant the bullpen was. Again, retiring twenty two of the next twenty three hitters once they came in, absolutely phenomenal effort. But again, it felt like you know what we didn't get a quality start. We get behind in the ball game. We're chasing the game, and then we're not performing offensively the way that we think we should. That finally catches up with us on Saturday. You know, we had we didn't play exceptionally well against Tulane either. You know, we put some runs together late, and, and that's one of the qu- questions that I asked Chris Lamonis 
and, and Chris kind of responded, you know, one of the reasons we're able to kind of open up some things late is because we get people starters out of the ball game. And so we're, you know, we're hitting against guys that aren't quite as talented as the guys that have kind of held us down for a while. But that, that's the thing about baseball. It's a nine-inning game. You've got to be able to defend and pitch all nine innings. And we're a good enough team that if we can get in that bullpen, we can make a run late, and we have. We get into that second ball game, and again, it's one of those deals you look at and say, you know, we just need to get a good quality start here because we knew they were throwing their best guy. Luke Albright is one of the top 100 uh, MLB draft prospects in the country. So we knew that it was probably going to be a game that we we're going to have to be probably low scoring. And then immediately we go out there and give up two runs in the second inning. And that's what's so unfortunate about it, too, is you begin to kind of look at this thing. Sarantola gives you a good first inning, right? You go right out there, you get, you get down in the count, but you work your way back, and then we get a ground out, very lengthy at bat. I want to say it's like a 10 or 11 pitch at bat to open the game. But then you come right back, and you get on two pitches, you get Carew, and then you get Turner on three. And so it's a clean first inning. Yes, the first hitter was a little bit shaky, but Sarantola gets through that. Well, we go one, two, three, and then we get to the second, and then it's like we just really struggle to throw strikes. And it looked for a while there like you might be able to battle through it. Again, a full count. You walk Mignus. You give up the uh, single to right field. There's guys at first and second, nobody down. And then we hit a guy. And so that's one of those things I look at. It just, it's like a mental lapse. And I understand sometimes you can't execute a pitch and it gets away from you. But right, right away, they've got bases loaded. And two of those three guys, we kind of gift them. And you can say, you know what, Steve? Well, at least Mignus kind of worked the count. And, yeah, so I give him some credit, you know, for being a disciplined hitter and fouling some balls off. But – that was an 0-2 count, and then we threw four consecutive balls. Again, not able to finish the hitter. Then Sarantola digs down deep. Bases loaded, nobody out. He gets Matthews looking, and it was great. He comes back and gets Dobos looking. So now we're one pitch away from getting out of this thing, right? You're thinking, okay, let's get a pop-up anywhere, and uh, we've survived this, and Eric will be okay. Well, that's not what happens. McNamara gets an infield hit, and then a run scores. It's a one at the ball game. And then what do we do? We walk the leadoff hitter. And, again, this is another one of those lengthy at-bats here. You know, an incredible at-bat, and he, he wins. And so we walk in the run. It's 2 nothing, and then he strikes out Carew on three pitches. And so despite all of the damage, despite control issues, and despite not being able to execute at times, you know, in full counts, it's just a 2 nothing ball game. We go right back out there and go 1-2-3. Strike out looking and a couple of ground outs, and then we're right back on defense. But – Sarantola digs down deep again, and, and the kid begins to compete a little bit. And that's been the thing with him is, like, he has the ability. He's just a little bit inconsistent at times. So we walk the leadoff hitter. That's not competitive on uh, five pitches. Then we get a fly out, and then we get a fielder's choice there. We nearly had a double play, but it, w- it wasn't hit hard enough for us to turn it. And then Sarantola gets a case wing, and, and you think, okay, he has worked through that. He's through the second inning. He's through all the – you know, he's had the hit by pitch. He had a couple walks. Now we're good, right? Cam James comes in or it's a double down the line, and we get a ground out on a sack bunt, move him to third, and then Pimentel gets a single. we got runners on the corners there. And then Rowdy Jordan comes through and drives in a run. It's a 2-1 ball game. We hit into a double play because uh, Albright's a ground ball machine. But you think, okay, it's 2-1. We're right back in it. We're kind of a swing away, and it looks like Sarantola's kind of cleaned some things up. Maybe he's good to go. Very first pitch of the fourth inning, it's a home run. 
So all of that work, you know, the leadoff double, the sack bunt, and you know, all everything else we did to manufacture that run has been wasted because they go right back up two runs. Follows that up with a ball blistered to center field. Then he takes second. We walk another guy, and then there is the uh, the bunt single. They push by the mound, and it's full. Its bases are full again. We bring in Stone Simmons, and uh, sure enough, they get a base hit and drives in a run. It's a four-one ball game, and then we we kind of knuckled up here we get a strikeout looking and then we get the double play to get out and it's a 4-1 ball game but it felt a whole lot worse because the way Albright was D1 you begin to kind of tell yourself okay now maybe second time through the order maybe we can start getting some things pushed across here and then Tanner Allen comes up and we get a single to center field and uh, Logan Tanner gets uh, a single and then there's all this craziness right because I still think this is a very controversial play, but if Logan Tanner slides into second base rather than doing the pop-up slide, we might be having a different conversation today because all of a sudden we were going to have two men in scoring position with nobody out, but instead we got a runner at third with one out, and I still believe that the shortstop pulled him off the bag. Yes, he was off balance a little bit. I thought he had a little bit of help. They initially ruled him safe. I didn't think no matter what it was, there was going to be enough to overturn it. They do overturn it. We never really got an explanation on that, but um, disappointing. And then Josh Hatcher strikes out looking, and that that's that that was a disappointing thing for me. You know, Josh is a Major League Baseball prospect. Josh is a guy that has hit you know over 300 the last two years, and last year was playing the best baseball of his career when the season got canceled. And so I still have a lot of faith in Josh. Yes, I know he's been up and down a little bit, but Wednesday. He blistered four baseballs and just happened to hit him right at people, but he barreled those things up, and so you figure it's just a matter of time before he breaks out. And you got the righty-lefty matchup, and, and I really thought that Albright made him look a little bit silly at times. So he strikes out looking. He did not like the call, and I didn't like it either. Uh, it, was, it was a horrible strike zone all day on Saturday. I mean, it really was, and I don't say that it's because we lost. Uh, you know, Lamontis went out to argue and got, got the warning. Several players argued. I don't know if that gets you any calls, but um, there was a lot of frustration. They walked Luke Hancock, and they were really careful with him all weekend, really kind of pitched around him. They were determined to let somebody else beat them because if you make a mistake to Luke Hancock, he's going to be walking around the bases. And then they get Cam James on three pitches. And so what looked to be a promising inning with runners to second, third, and nobody down, we don't score anything. Struggle to get the big hit. We get into the fifth, and they put a couple runs up again. You know, it's uh, McNamara double through the left side, drives on a couple runs. But, again, a lot of this was, you know, them just hitting the baseball. You know, we get the early pop-up, and then we give up a single and then a double. And uh, then we, it looks like we're going to get out of it. You know, they got runners at second and third. It's a ground ball to, to Landon Jordan, who fields it cleanly and looks at runner back and throws a strike to first. You're thinking, okay, you know, can we dance with madness here and get out of here? And we don't. We give up the double, and um, that's it for Stone Simmons. And Rokus comes in and immediately walks a guy on four pitches, gives up another single, and made it a 7-1 ball game. And at that point, it really felt like it was just a matter of what the final score was going to be. And just to show you how much fight we had left in us, we go 1-2-3 uh, the next inning. We kind of hang in there. Rokos has a decent inning there in the sixth. Uh, we get a ground out, and then we had the uh, – we had a ball that kind of got away from us there on a strikeout. And then uh, there's a wild pitch that follows, but we're able to get out of it with another strikeout throwout deal. 
Then we get our opening walk with the, the Brul, and then it's one, two, three after that. We bring in Casey Hunt, who has been a bright spot for us out of the bullpen. This is a guy that brings a lot of heat, too. I thought he had his best inning of, of, the, of the young season. He gets a ground out of line out and a strikeout swinging of uh, Cam Touchette. And it really felt like it was a little bit too late, but at least the bullpen was kind of holding us in the game here. We get to the seventh, and we begin to think, okay, we've got a chance to put some things together. And again, struggle to hit the ball out of the infield. We get Luke Hancock on and another walk. And it's a fielder's choice, fielder's choice. Just like that, you've got a runner at third, and there's two down. And then Drew McGowan gets a walk, and they finally pull the pitcher. We get McGowan a second on a wild pitch, and uh, we think we're good to go here, and then we get the ground out. A lot of traffic on the bases there. But, again, we couldn't hit the baseball at infield. So we get to the eighth, and uh, you get the line out, and then there is a, an infield hit, and then we're, we get the next two. And so – and that's in uh, Dylan Carmouche. And uh, I don't know who's in charge of uh, playing the music for marketing, but um, Shepherds of Fire by Vince Sevenfold is designed to be played at loud volumes. And it, of all the walkouts that we play, that one is played at the lowest volume. Please fix it. Please. If I've got to sit here and listen to all this driving and crying country, when there is something cool that's being played, can I hear that at the same volume that you're playing uh, Tim McGraw? Please, please, please. If you need a clean copy of it, I'm happy to bring a CD down there to you if you can't find a good uh, MP3. All right, so we get to the eighth, and um, you think, okay, we got a few things going here. We get a double, and then Tanner Allen drives into Brule there to make it 7-2. Probably could have got a couple things going there besides that, but, but we don't. Again, we kind of struggle with the big hit. We get to top of nine, and you think, okay, let's just get this game over. And... Uh, you know, we bring in Riley Self, and uh, we didn't do a good job behind Riley Self. And I, I thought Riley actually looked better than he's looked all year. We give up a single to first base. Then we get a K looking, and then we get a single to right field. And then McNamara reaches on a fielder's choice, and then we, we just we throw the ball away and give up two runs there. Uh, Cam threw it away and uh, becomes a 9-2 ball game. And, and that was one of those things, too. We got a chance possibly to get a double play right there been bang bang at first you turn a double play there and you go into the ninth down seven two it's a lot different than going down nine two there's no quitting the bulldogs for sure we get to the ninth, and uh i had some people some of you texting me saying hey the ninth inning is ours we always find a way this is going to be the greatest comeback ever and i was i was there for it hancock gets grounded out and then cam james uh, gets an infield single and then you know it's you got a man on, you're down seven runs, you're thinking, okay, this game's over. And then Tanner Laggett gets a single. And then uh, McDonald doubles down the left side, drives in two runs. Now it's 9-4, and you start doing the math, right? You start thinking, okay, it's 9-4. How deep are the order we have to get to get somebody up to hit a grand slam, right? Uh, Rowdy comes in and grounds out. And so now there's two down, but then DeBrule gets the single, drives in another run, it's a 9-5. And then Tanner Allen gets on the throwing there, right? And so now you start thinking, okay, we got the time run on deck. As crazy as this thing sounds, you got the time run on deck. You just got to find a way to get, um, you know, get some guys on, you know, on base here to kind of make it happen, but we don't. And so it's a valiant effort, but we come up short there. 
And it's a 1-1 game. It's a 1-1 series, and we're thinking, okay, we got to find a way to win this thing. And, and listen, we've heard that Kent State's one of these good mid-major teams. You know, these guys are capable of beating us. And we've learned it after that ball game because they really made us play kind of uncharacteristic of ourselves. But I think in many ways it was good for State. I think it was kind of eye-opening. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard-to-recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. And uh, I think that showed on Sunday. So I get to the ballpark on Sunday, and one of the first conversations I have is one of the staffers says, hey, have you seen the lineup for today? I was like, no, I haven't. I just got here. What's, uh, what's going on? They said, hey, go check it out. There's a lot of changes. And there were. And, you know, I admire Chris for making those decisions. You know, because, you know, listen, you, you got to shake some things up. And we did. You know, sometimes people earn a spot and they get a little bit comfortable being mediocre. They get a little bit comfortable doing what they've been doing. And people begin to think, you know what, well, I've already earned my spot. I'm here. Well, I think Coach Chris Lamona showed on Sunday that you know, nothing's guaranteed for anybody. So, Scotty DeBrule, who at one point was, what, I guess the number six hitter, moved up to second. He's hitting leadoff. Rowdy's dropped down to two. Tanner Allen remains at three. Cam James goes to cleanup. And I know that, that kind of disappoints some of you guys, and I, and I don't understand a lot of the hatred for Cam James. He's a young guy kind of figuring it out. He has battled some things defensively, but he has been a really good hitter for us. Let's not forget, too, that he's a freshman. He's a freshman. Landon Jordan, uh, you know, also got in the game a little bit later, but um, Hancock's your DH again, and then Logan Tanner's the catcher. Logan's moved down in the order. Josh Hatcher's moved down in the order. And, um, you know, Drew McGowan starts, and then we have uh, Lane Forsyth making his Bulldog debut in the nine hole and playing short. You move uh, Cam over to third. And so it was a much different lineup. And I think in many ways it probably sends a message to people, as it should. It's like Saturday was absolutely unacceptable. We're not going to accept that from you guys, okay? We're not going to have to go out there and accept a mediocre pitching showing. And we're not going to take guys if they're taking selfish swings. And there was a lot of that on Saturday. There was a lot of selfish swings on Saturday. And we change it. And so Chris is like, you know what, we're going to go ahead and shake things up and uh, you guys are going to sh- show me that you need to do it or you can do it or you won't play. And you're certainly not going to stay where you are if you're not producing. So we get out there and immediately Jackson Fristo goes to work. Absolutely goes to work. We get behind some hitters early, but unlike what we saw with Christian McLeod and to a lesser part Eric Tarantola, he was able to finish hitters. We go to a full count on the first two hitters, and we get strikeouts on both, a strikeout swinging, a strikeout looking. And the thing that I love about Fristo is that he's not scared. 
He's not scared to get hit. He's not scared to get in there and compete. There's a lot of guys that give in on a full count. They think, oh, I've got to throw a strike here, so let me just lay a BP fastball in here and hope he gets himself out. Uh, Fristo went in there and attacked the zone, made them hit his pitch. Yeah, it might be a fastball, but it's going to be a fastball in the hands. It's going to be a fastball at the letters. It's going to be a fastball at the knees. I'm not just going to sit here and serve you up on a tee. And then we get Michael Turner to fly out. So it's a one, two, three inning. You're thinking, okay, good, good. <laughs> uh, Scotty DeBrule in his first day as a leadoff uh, has a five-pitch walk there, and he's on base so right out of the gate. Rowdy Jordan is facing a pitcher in the stretch. You guys have heard me say it a million times. Everybody is a different pitcher in the stretch. They simply are, especially starters. A lot of relievers guys come in in the stretch. They're used to being that way, but it's different for starters. So then Rowdy walks. Now all of a sudden you start thinking, okay, we've got a chance to score an early run here and kind of help settle the kid down a little bit. And then Tanner Allen blisters one, near, nearly gets in there. I mean, it was one of those shifting line drives to right. And right fielder caught it, but uh, it was far from a routine play. And then Cam James singles and uh, drives in a run. Hancock grounds into a double play, but at least – We've got the early lead. We're not chasing the game. Fristo goes right back out there, and, and unlike the first inning where he you know, kind of got behind hitters and stayed behind hitters, that wasn't really the case in the second. Now, the leadoff hitter, he did get behind him, but was able to get a pop-up to DeBrule. And then the next thing you know, we get a case swinging, case swinging, 2-2 two, two count, 1-2 count, and then we're back in the dugout. State comes up and uh, you know, adds another run here in the second inning. Tanner, Logan Tanner gets a single. Good job of 0-2 hitting. Really good job. One thing I like about Logan Tanner, too, is he understands the importance of hitting the ground ball hard somewhere. You know, a lot of people up there trying to elevate everything, and even though he's got home run power, sometimes there's some situational hitting you got to do, and he understands when that outfield's playing no doubles, if I can just get it through the infield, I got a chance to get a double myself. Josh Hatcher goes up there and just laces a single on an 0-1 count. And uh, I, I like. I thought Josh looked a little more comfortable. I and mean, maybe he felt challenged being dropped in the order a little bit. But maybe he's more comfortable down there. Maybe he is. Hatcher and still second. Uh, they call him out, and then they overturn it. And it was the right call to overturn it because he was safe. And then McGowan flies out, and then we get a sack flower BI there, and it's a 2 nothing ball game. So – one of the things they had taught us about Lane Forsyth is that he was an absolutely exceptional defender, but he wasn't going to hit, at least not this year. So he's a competitive kid, needs a year in the weight room. He's a guy that's not scared to swing the bat, but not to expect a whole lot. Uh, and so we decided to run a suicide squeeze with him. His very first pitch of his very first collegiate at bat, that was a mistake, and Chris admitted it in postgame. And I saw a lot of people on message boards upset with Hatcher saying it was bad base running. Guys, when you run a suicide squeeze, that's why they call it a suicide squeeze because the runner just takes off. And then all you got to do is hope that the guy can get a, the bat on the ball and bunt the, the baseball, even get it foul, whatever. Well, there was some miscommunication on the, sing, on the signals, and uh, so he's dead to rights. It was not Josh Hatcher's fault. And, and listen, I'm going to say some things here, and if I step on your toes, I hope it hurts. Anybody blaming Josh Hatcher for that play not happening does not know baseball. You don't know baseball. Well, just guys sit around and wait for it. Now, when your coach gives you a signal and says, this is the play we're going to run, you run the play. You run the play. There was some miscommunication, and it's probably, listen, the very first collegiate at bat for a true freshman kid, that's not the time to run that play. It's not. 
It's not. Now, if you're looking to catch them by the, with the element of surprise, you certainly would have. But we kind of surprise ourselves. We don't execute, so then Hatcher's out dead to rights. And then what does the Forsyth do? Rips a 2-0 fastball into, uh, into left field. So it's crazy how it all works. But we do get a run there. Probably should have been a bigger inning. We kind of ran ourselves out of the inning. But Jackson Frisco said, don't worry, guys, I got you. And, again, we don't go to a three-ball count here in the third inning. And I love how we set up pitches. Oh, my gosh. I love when you've got a guy that's got the stuff Jackson Fristo has, you can go out there and set up pitches. We get ahead, you know, you get a one-two count, and then you throw that breaking ball away, and if they don't chase, you've already changed your eye level. Then you elevate the fastball, and you get the K swinging. And so it's a 2-2 K. It's a 2-2 fly out. It's a 2-2 K looking. So, again, you know, we're not giving these guys advantage counts. And the kid was really sharp. I mean, really sharp. You know, he had some purposeful misses. He didn't have misses through a lack of execution. And that's really what we, what we were missing Friday and Saturday with our starts is, you know, we had some misses because we were, you know, we were out there nibbling a little bit rather than executing pitches. And when Jackson Fristo was pitching, these were purposeful misses. They're trying to set up another pitch. And so I like what we did. I like how we called the game. So we get into the third and we tack on another run. This one coming, uh, you know, again, one of these deals where uh, Rowdy Jordan gets the walk and then goes to second on a balk. And we get a ground out. We move the runner around. And then uh, Rowdy scores on a wild pitch. That's what happens. You manufacture runs. You give yourself opportunities. You put pressure on the defense. So we did. Now it's a 3 nothing ball game. And the way Fristo was pitching, you start thinking, you know what, we got a good shot here. We got a good shot to win this ball game because we know what we know who's lurking in the pen. You start you start counting outs here and say, you know what? If Fristo can get us through the fifth, and then let Landon can get us two or three innings, we can win this ball game. And that's how I was thinking. I'm sure you guys probably think along the same lines there. We go out to the fourth. We have one three ball count. We get two shed on an 0-2 count as a fly out, and then Carew has a pretty lengthy at bat there. Couldn't finish him. We finally do. Case swinging on a ball at the letters. And then we get Michael Turner on a 2-1 uh, ball to fly out to deep left. But we're out of the inning again. And, again, it's pitch efficiency. You're not out there nibbling and nibbling and nibbling and nibbling and nibbling. You're attacking hitters. And that's the thing, too. When you're up three runs, you can afford to do that. When there's nobody on base, you just go get them. I love that about this kid. And that's how Brennan Smith is, too. You just go attack the hitter. So we don't score in the fourth. We get to the fifth. Fristo goes back out there, one, two, three, and didn't even get a two-ball count on a single hitter. An 0-2 uh, ground out, a 1-2 strikeout, and then a ground out to second on a 1-2 count. So, again, we're not letting hitters get advantage counts and put us in predictable situations. The kid is out there dealing, and we're not getting in 2-0-3-1 counts where we have to give in and throw a fastball. It's, it, life is so much different as a pitcher when you can land your breaking ball for a strike. That's the keys to the kingdom in the college game and really any, in high school as well. If you can land your breaking ball for a strike, life is beautiful. And Jackson Fristo can throw it for a strike, and he can also get swings and misses on breaking balls out of his own because it has such a good spin rate on it. So we get to the fifth state tax on a couple runs here. It's just that we chase Ripple right here, and they bring in a new guy. We greet him with a single, and then there's a fielder's choice, and then Cam James hits a bomb to left, and it was an absolute laser shot. It's a 5 nothing ball game. And now you begin to look at this thing, and they're thinking with Fristo, maybe we can extend him a little bit. Maybe we can. 
Because around now, everybody's thinking they don't even have a hit. And Fristo's like, yeah, that's cool. Let me show you this. And he goes out there again. We have one three-ball count, and the other hitters don't even get two. We get a ground out on a one and two. Uh, we get Dobos to fly out on a three-one count, and then we get McNamara swinging. And that's it, man. That is it for uh, for Fristo. And a lot of people were upset. I, listen, I go on social media, and I see this stuff, and yeah, I, I love all of y'all, but some of y'all make my head hurt. And um, and let me explain this as best I can. Jackson Fristo is a true freshman. And he was at 87 pitches. And listen, here's the thing, too. It's not just 87 tosses. That is, there are 87 emotionally charged pitches in a series rubber game. This kid went out there understanding, listen, i got to go out there and get a start. Uh, my guys, Christian McLeod and Eric Sarantola, didn't get out of second inning. That's a lot of pressure for kids. And you know what? I know Coach is upset. I know Coach Fox is upset. i got to go out there and do my job. And so every one of those pitches takes a little bit of an emotional toll on the pitcher. Even when you're doing great, you got to stay locked in. There's some focus required to pitch at this level. And the the kid has it. The kid kind of has that 1,000-yard stare. He just doesn't get phased. But it does take a toll on a guy. But 87 pitches, that's an awful lot. It's not like pitching in high school. It's not like we're going out there playing against West Marion High School where you, you can take and it bat off because you have guys that can't hit the fastball. This is not the case. You can't relax on a mound in the Southeastern Conference. And it's not to mention as bad as we needed to win this ball game today. It's just a different deal. And so it was absolutely the right call to pull him. You know what? If it's Super Regional Weekend, yeah, you extend him. You do. You don't do it the third weekend of the year. You don't. And you go, you go back and look at his starts, and he's been getting a little more, a little more, a little more every week. And he's been a Sunday starter basically three weeks in a row. So that's the end of the day for him. Uh, and then we blow it open there in the sixth. We really kind of put the game away there in the sixth. Uh, Hatcher walks and, and did a great job. Worked the count, got up 2-0, and then worked it and fouled him off, fouled him off, fouled him off, and then finally took a ball four. McGowan, K's swinging. They changed pitchers. And then Forsyth again with a single. Uh, singles to the left side. And we got runners at first and second. And then Hatcher takes third in a wild pitch. Forsyth didn't see it. And he stayed there. You got to read that better, kid. But you know what? If you don't see it, it's best to hold right where you are. There's no point running to an out. So, I come, while I think he made a mistake not reading the baseball, he made the mature decision after that. A lot of people would panic. He didn't. DeBrulin singles to the right side, and we uh, drive a run in. Now it's a 6 nothing ball game. Rowdy strikes out looking uh, really on a fastball he should have absolutely drilled. There were other words that I would say to that, but this is a PG-13 show. Then Tanner Allen singles to the left side, and uh, we drive in a run. It's 7 nothing ball game. Cam James comes in and nearly hits another home run. Off, off the top of the wall makes it 9-7. Excuse me, 9 nothing. Excuse me. At this point, the game was over. It was just a matter of what the final score was going to be and if we could hold on to the no-hitter. We start substituting kind of liberally here. Landon Sims comes in. We get a strikeout swinging and a line out, and then you think, okay, we're going to get on out of this thing unscathed, and then we have a ground ball to Forsyth, and it just it kind of took a bad hop on him. You know, he, he goes and scoops to get it and uh, goes off his wrist. He gets an error there. Perfect game is over, no hitter still intact. And then we walked Mignus, which kind of removed all doubt about scoring there, right? And then we, we battle back and we get a strikeout looking there. So we get out of it through seven, and the no hitter is still intact. And that's when I really began to believe. 
I was hopeful before. Now I kind of began to believe, start thinking, you know, because six outs left and, you know, we're kind of through that. We're going to see the bottom third in the, uh, you know, in the, in the eighth. We got a shot here. But we weren't done scoring runs. And this is where I thought we really grew up as a team. You know, sometimes we have, you know, neglected to show a killer instinct. You know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Mike Leach offense when things are clicking, right? It's not his job to stop you. You know what I'm saying? It's not his job to stop his own offense. It's your job to stop his offense. And that's kind of as bad as frustrating it's been this year on offense. It was good that we got to stretch our legs a little bit. We come right out there. McDonald with a double, right? Pimentel gets a single. Forsyth gets on the fielder's choice. It seemed like that kid was on base all day. Leggett flies out, but it's a 10 nothing ball game. You know, we, we, we push the run across there. Um, and so it's 10 nothing, and we're still tacking on here. Rowdy, Rowdy singles. Cumbus is hit by the pitch, and Brad wanted to keep swinging. He, did not, he didn't even tell him he got hit by the pitch. They had to call him and tell him to go. Uh, and then Landon Jordan singles to the right side. Two run scores, makes it 12. Then Garner singles, and uh, Cumbus scores, makes it 13 nothing. And we were still out there swinging the bats. Logan Tanner works and works and works and works and works and gets a walk. And then McDonald lines out to center field, and he absolutely blistered that baseball. I mean, absolutely did. But it's 13-0. And so now we knew the outcome of the game was all but decided. Now it was just, can, can we get the no-hitter, right? So at this point, we still weren't quite ready to start digging in the media guide. But we substituted liberally. And uh, we come in with, with uh, Mikey Tepper, and uh, he gets a ground out to first, and then you get that second one that bounced off the bag, and Pimentel still got it and got to the bag. That's, that's like there's three there's three big plays in this ball game before you got to the ninth that made you feel like something special was happening. When Drew McGowan, I guess in the fourth inning, made that diving catch out in left center, that that ball was probably down. I mean, honestly, McGowan makes an incredible effort. There was another one hopper back up the middle that Scotty DeBrule got over. And you know what? If we're playing a young guy there, it's probably a base hit back up the box. But DeBrule makes a play. And then this one, Brandon Pimentel, taking the ball off the bag and making the play. Because in order to get a no-hitter, you got to have some luck and you got to have some strong defense. We had both. And then he strikes out and Rosick looking. And it's, uh, then at this point, I turned to Greg Campbell. and said, okay, when was the last time? And he goes, 1985, Gene Morgan. I said, There's, that's not right. I said, we had a midweek no-hitter against a SWAC team or a Louisiana team right around 2000. So the camera who it was, but we had one. I know. I listened to the game on Maroon of the Max and heard Jim Ellis call it. And so – they did some research later, and we corrected. It was actually 1999 against Alcorn State, and you saw that reflected later. But listen, Greg Campbell, our SID for baseball, is an incredible guy that has done an incredible job. Listen, when he got there, our media guide was in extremely poor shape. There were a lot of things in there that were inaccurate. I don't know how that happens. I mean, honestly, I don't know how that happens. I mean, it's your job to kind of keep up with numbers and records. And so Greg has kind of taken it on his own. Last year's media guide is the best one we ever had. And then this year during the quarantine, that was kind of his quarantine project. He went through and updated our stats all the way back to like 1948. And so we began to kind of get – so we're getting there. You know, Greg has really worked hard to kind of get this thing updated. But this is something that we haven't worked on yet. And sure enough, there there was another no-hitter in there in 1999. 
And uh, I give Greg, Greg, after a long day at the yard on a Sunday, and you know as well as I do, and this is a guy that had to go to Hattiesburg, and then they had all this stuff with Kent State, trying to get that stuff scheduled, and he's got to do a Friday, Saturday, Sunday game. And then after the Sunday game, when he can finally go home and hug his kids and have dinner with his wife, he gets out a bunch of box scores, and he goes and finds out what really was the last no-hitter. That says a lot about that guy. It really does. I mean, it really, really does. I mean, yeah, he could have waited a Monday, but that just shows you, you know, Greg's a guy that couldn't rest knowing that wasn't correct. And so he goes back and finds it. And so that, that's very impressive to me. But let's go ahead and finish this thing out here. Uh, we get to the ninth, and I was hoping we'd score, but at the same time, too, I was just kind of ready to get back out there and see if we can get it done. So top of nine, we get out there. And, uh, you know, Mikey's still out there. We get a strikeout looking, and then we get another strikeout looking. And there's two outs to go. I mean, there's two outs in the inning. And uh, a lot of people wonder, why did we pull Tepper? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because all of a sudden we're managing for the no-hitter. They had a couple of left-handed pinch hitters coming up, and so we go get a left-hander. We bring him in to face the left-hander. And then we walk the first one, and then we get that pop-up, and then there's Lane Forsythe running out there making a catch that we'll all remember forever. We'll all remember that one forever. He goes out there and he grabs it and he's breaking right and then and then, and then shifts left and makes that great play over the shoulder. Uh, almost, almost Willie Mays-esque. And I don't know. Listen, I don't know if you can change the order now. I mean, honestly. I mean, we've got so many guys that can play. You've got to find a way to get those guys some at-bats. And thankfully, we've got five games this week, so everybody can get in there and get a little work. But, um, you know, after what happened today, I mean, don't you just ride this right now? You know what I'm saying? Don't you ride the hot hand? I think you probably do. But that's the weekend, and uh, listen, if you were looking to kind of keep up with SEC stuff, I wrote an article I'll do every Sunday night when I'm not traveling. I do an SEC baseball weekend interview article, kind of let you know how everybody in the SEC did. Uh, there is one team in the SEC that has a losing record. That's Missouri. Uh, and then there was uh, LSU losing two out of three to Oral Roberts, right? So there's a lot of parity in the league this year, and I still think it's Arkansas, Ole Miss, Florida, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State. I think those are your five teams there. We get to play Missouri. Advantage Mississippi State. All right, time for the top ten list. Uh, brought to you by Dr. Robert Yarber. I've shared with you guys before. Doc Yarber, longtime friend of mine, longtime friend of the show. I actually got a dog from him one time, my first bulldog, Lucy. Love her to death. So, so here's the deal. Dr. Yarber works for the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi. That's ear, nose, and throat, right? Many of you struggle with that stuff, and maybe you're not ready to admit it. You say, you know, it's just allergies. No, it's not just allergies. If it was just allergies, it wouldn't constantly be a problem. You wouldn't have all this sinus pain. You wouldn't have all these headaches. You wouldn't have this all this post-nasal drip. Go see Dr. Yarber and let him take care of you. It's as simple as that. It's time to get this handled once and for all. Stop trying to be your own doctor. Stop trying to uh, treat yourself with over-the-counter medication. That's just the wrong way to do it. There's just, there's just no way around it. Let a professional take care of you. If you have to have a surgical procedure here in Starkville, it's going to be done at OCH. And so as a result, that supports local hospital. Make your appointment today with Dr. Robert Yarborough of the ENT Physicians of North Mississippi, two locations to serve you, right here in Starkville on Stark Road, 910 Stark Road, and then in Tupelo, 618 Pegram Drive. One number to call for both locations. One number. You call one, they'll, they'll place you wherever you need to be. Phone number is 662-844-6513. Again, that's 
662-844-6513. Give them a call today. So Roy has been after me for a while to do the U2 list. And so we're doing U2 today. I'll be honest with you. I have been on and off the U2 bandwagon over the years. When I first heard them, I loved them. And then Joshua Tree came out, and I wasn't quite sure about it, so I heard it a little bit more, and I liked it a lot. And then things got a little weird for a while, and then they kind of pulled me back in, and then they pulled me back off. And so I I can't say that I've been a huge U2 fan over the years, but there are some U2 songs I really love. A lot of this takes me back to my high school years, and I know I'm dating myself there, but um, that is okay. Here are some that didn't make the list, some honorable mentions, and that's the sweetest thing. All I want is you, one, and desire. I believe that's off Rattle and Hum. But here's the top ten list, and uh, these are all hits. And I think all of these but one has was a single. And the one that wasn't a single but kind of became a fan favorite. And so they do play it live because they've had so many requests for it over the years. Number ten, a song you're familiar with. They had a crazy video on MTV years ago, but it's Where the Streets Have No Name. Going back to the beginning, number nine, Sunday, Bloody Sunday. And there's been times in my life that was my favorite U2 song. Number eight, It's a Beautiful Day. And I just love the message in that song. I mean, it's a, it's a song of hope. It really is. It's a song of renewal. Number seven, and this is one, this is a, at one point in my life, this is one of my favorite songs of all time. And the video used to really trip me out. But, um, but anyway, it's Mysterious Ways. I always said if uh, Elvis Presley wrote a U2 song, it'd be this one. Uh, number six, and this is one that uh, Garth from Wayne's World played when they were doing the Zoo, the Zoo TV tour, and uh, Garth was hosting the MTV Video Music Awards, and they did a simulcast, and Garth played the drums on this track. It's even better than the real thing. It's a great tune. Number five, this is one I talked about that was not a real single, but it became a fan favorite. It's Bullet the Blue Sky. Absolutely love that one. It's one of the more aggressive U2 songs. And I think the vocal range on that one is is probably right in the wheelhouse uh, for Bono. I think it's absolutely perfect. Number four, and a lot of people would say this is their favorite one. And uh, it may be their favorite one, but it's not the best one. If you say this is the best U2 song, chances are you're wrong. But it might have been uh, one of their biggest hits. I'm sure it was. But it's uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Number three, also off Joshua Tree, it's With or Without You. Very, very emotional song. It's a lot we can all feel there. That's a moment we've all felt before. Go check it out. Uh, but I went back into when I first got into YouTube for the top two songs. And number two is New Year's Day. I love Edge's guitar on this one. I love that opening riff. To me, it doesn't sound like anything else. And he is an underappreciated guitarist. And I know he, he doesn't do a lot of the fret work and that sort of stuff that was so uh, in vogue in the 80s. But um, you know, his rhythm playing is incredible. And I, I think New Year's Day is probably the best. But number one, it's pride in the name of love. And I, I, one of the reasons I love it is, is not just because of uh, how great the tune is, but the message behind it. There's just so much of that that I think is it's a reminder for us, and it's a vehicle to kind of use music uh, to remind us of some lessons that uh, you know perhaps people before us learned and maybe have forgotten. And so I love the message behind that song, and uh, you know really like that about you too.
And uh, listen, I don't always agree with every musician's politics, and I don't have to. And nobody's ever asked me, so, you know, Steve, how do you feel about this? Should we sing this song? Um, I can appreciate the fact that, um, you know, we have differences politically at times with, with bands, but it, it doesn't mean that I can't find something of value uh, in their work. And, um, again, pride in the name of love, absolutely the best. If you have an idea for a top ten list, reach out, let me know. You can find me on social media, at Scout Steve R. I might just use your list. All right, Campus Bookmarked, longtime sponsors of this show. Recently traded some emails with Stan and Man. I need to get by there because i got to get some new gear. And you do too. Go by and see Stan. Go by and see Miss Kathy Brown, the lovely, talented Susie. The whole crew there will smile as you walk through the door. That's one of the things that I have learned in life. And maybe it's because I've gotten old. Maybe because I'm an old guy now. I don't like doing business with people that don't appreciate me being there. And maybe I'm old-fashioned in that way. You know, I've gotten so used to online shopping sometimes, I just think, you know what, when I walk into a place and I pick something out, I don't always want to be helped, but I do want somebody to help me when I have an issue. And uh, when I go to Campus Bookmart, and it's not just because it's me. When I go in there, there are a lot of student workers that don't know me. Their parents may know me, but they don't know me. But it's just something about the culture at Campus Bookmart, they're going to treat you well. Because Stan and Miss Kathy and Susie aren't going to put up with anything less than exemplary customer service. Go by and see them. If you can't make it to town, they'll still be nice to you over the web, right? Go to campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll save you shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And listen... If you're shopping online for the family, you're going to spend more than 50 bucks. So allow me to pick up the shipping for you. BSR at campusbookmart.net. And you're going to be so glad you shop with them. I mean, you really are. You're doing business with Bulldogs for sure. Let's talk a little basketball. You know, women's basketball regular season is over. If you ask me today if we make the tournament, I would say probably not. Even though some good things happened over the weekend for us. So we're firmly there on the bubble. I don't think we're a great tournament team. Had we beat LSU, I think we're in. We didn't. Ole Miss beat Arkansas. They might get our spot. But let's be fair, it would be their spot, not ours, because they won the game in the SEC tournament. We did not. LSU, of course, loses. And so, you know, we've got a win over them. They've got a win over us. But I would say that there's a good chance the ladies are not in the tournament. Are we in the women's NIT? I don't, I don't even know if they're going to do it this year. But, but be that as it may, the year is uh, nearly over. And uh, it's one of those things, too, you know, you guys are like me. You know, it's like there's only so much I can take, only so much losing I can take. You know, I'm true maroon as they come, but it's like I would rather go to the NCAA tournament and lose another one than not make the dance. And it's like, oh, Steve, I'm just ready for it to be over. I I just don't feel that way. You know, because what happens, we get in a tournament and, you know, we beat somebody. You just never know. I would rather go to the dance and lose than stay at home and watch it on TV. And I'm going to be honest with you. If Mississippi State's not playing, I'm not watching it. It's just like, you know, when the Pittsburgh Steelers get beat in the playoffs, football season's over for me. This is how I am. You can call me what you want. But uh, I'm, I'm not going to watch everybody else win and play except in uh, college football. It's not going to do it. All right, so let's talk men's basketball. We did uh, lose the ball game at Auburn. We had won three of the last four, and, of course, they add that, schedule, that game in the schedule, and you think, okay, we win this one, 
were guaranteed a winning season. We've talked about this on the show many times. Well, we're no longer got the guarantee anymore because we lose the ball game. Now it's a 14-13 record. We'll be in the uh, SEC tournament. We'll play Thursday, the morning game against Kentucky. I'm kind of happy to get that matchup, to be honest with you. I know they're playing better as of late, but so have we. And uh, we didn't finish them off. We should have won the game in Starkville. That was one of the things that really got people upset early on. But uh, I know this is Cal's time of year, so we'll see how things progress. Remember, we lost that game in double overtime, 78-73, back earlier in the year. Uh, but, again, you know, looking back at the Auburn game over the weekend, you know, we had our chances to win that ball game, and we kind of blew it late. You know, we they hit that big three with a shot clock winding down. It looked like we were going to be able to get a stop there and uh, really outscored us in the second half, 46-37, after we held a uh, – halftime lead there we got off to a slow start we come pouring back in it tolu smith great game for him uh 20 points nine rebounds um dj stewart with 19 iverson molinar with 17 and uh anytime that you get three guys in double figures for us you're thinking we've got a reasonable chance to win the ball game uh didn't quite work out for us but um you know i I didn't think it was for a lack of effort and um you know I think Ben Howen has these kids believing a little bit that, you know, that the best is kind of yet to come. And so we'll see what happens. But if we beat Kentucky, I won't be the least bit surprised. If we lose to Kentucky, I won't be the least bit surprised. We are capable of winning that basketball game, though. We are absolutely capable of winning the game. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that we win it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I expect for us to win the game. But I do think Ben Howen's a guy that can get these guys going. And this is not going to be in Lexington, even though everybody calls it the uh, the Kentucky Invitational, the SEC tournament. Uh, I think that we're going to have a chance to get out there and perhaps not, not without capacity crowds, you know, maybe we can beat them back a little bit. But, uh, you know, we'll see. You know, John Calipari is one of the greatest coaches in, uh, in college basketball. There's no question about it. Um, you know, you can say what you want to about his recruiting efforts or whatever, but uh, they had, he's like the Teflon Don. They hadn't been able to put anything on him. You know, we'll see how it progresses. But um, this is a Kentucky team. It's not been what they have been. They're 9-15 and 15 overall, 9-15, and 15, and 8-9 and nine in the conference. And uh, they scheduled really heavy earlier in the year with this young team and uh, kind of came back and bit them a little bit. But uh, maybe they're a little bit battle-tested. Uh, you know, we'll see. But, um, you know, they have lost – Two of the last three, they lose to Florida and Rupp, 71-67. And this is just a good Florida team, not a great one. And then they lose in Oxford uh, to Ole Miss, 70-62. And then they blasted South Carolina. But let's be fair, everybody's kind of blasted South Carolina down the stretch here. So, you know, you got a chance. But uh, they were competitive in just about every game this year. There were a few games that kind of got away from them. But by and large, even with a young team, they've been able to do some decent things. And so this is a team that's capable of beating us, but it's a team that we're capable of beating them. I'm eager to see what Ben Howen can put together for these guys. The tournament actually begins on Wednesday with the 13-14 game. Thankfully, we're not in that one. But uh, we'll get Kentucky. And that was the thing last year. It's like we had to beat Florida to get to Kentucky, and a lot of people were thinking we had to win a game in the SEC tournament to get to the NCAA tournament. That's not the information that I had. What I was told is we needed to win two. And so we'll get that long-awaited SEC tournament matchup with Kentucky. We're not going to the NCAA tournament by any stretch, but uh, how great would it be to end the year beating Kentucky? They've been a long-time nemesis of ours, and then maybe the ghost of Babe McCarthy can help us a little bit. Uh, that's certainly my hope.
All right, folks, uh, we've got a recruiting update brought to you by the folks at Portico. Listen, it's a brand new residential development. It's easy to get to. It's just over a mile away from campus. Uh, when you come off of 82 and you take that turn to get on 12, it's like the first right once you make the turn there. And you get on Pat Station Road and it takes you right to Garrett Road, which is right behind the Hilton Garden Inn, right behind the Cryford Jeep dealership. It's very easy to get to. We've talked about this place a long time, and you guys are paying attention. You guys have paid attention. We talked about 18 houses in the first phase. Over a dozen of them are already gone. So if you're looking to make the move, you need to do it sooner rather than later, or you'll have to wait for that second phase. Now, once we get into, I guess, the next few weeks here, let me check my notes here just to make sure I'm right about this. But uh, they're going to be moving some dirt around here and uh, just to kind of get those lots ready to, to begin construction. And that's going to start May and June. Okay, so, so if you miss out, maybe this isn't the right time for you to move. Maybe you want to wait for the kids to get out of school. Go ahead and start thinking ahead of time now. Portico is a great place with uh, houses really to fit any home and to fit any family. You know, if, if it's an investment property for you, your primary residence, um, you know, they've got a home that'll hit, meet your needs. 1,300 to 2,000 square feet, two bedroom, two bath, up to four bedroom, four bath. Got that walking trail in the pavilion area. Give our friend Brooks Bryan a call. He'll give you more information. You'll be glad you did. Brooks got some great baseball stories, too. Give Brooks a call at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. That's Portico, newest, nicest construction in Starkville. And you've always wanted to live here anyway, right? I mean, if you went to school here, as soon as you left, you've been wanting to get back. You get out there and you go make a little money. It's like, you know Man, I sure wish I could go watch a baseball game this weekend. Well, you can. Just come back. We're happy to have you. Come back and be part of the family again. So on Sunday morning, as I'm getting up and moving around, Poplarville linebacker Khalid Moore announces his commitment to Mississippi State. Now, I'm going to give you guys some inside information here. He was actually talking about doing it last weekend. He's had the graphic for a week, just so you know. But before he did anything... He was encouraged by the Mississippi State staff. So, you know what? We love you. We're glad you love us. But before you do anything, why don't you and your family drive up here to Starkville on your own? We can't, we can't visit with you. We can't have an official visitor. We, you know, we can't get out and have meetings with you. But at least drive up here and look around. And they did. They came up on Saturday. They drove around town. They, they had something to eat. They got a, a feel for the lay of the land. They went and looked at the stadium. Went around and looked at some of the dorms, that sort of stuff. And then he got in the car and he went home. And on the ride home, he told his mom and dad, hey, this is what I want to do. I want to go to Mississippi State. So they talked about it, slept on it, got up this morning, and he tweeted out the graphic, he's Bulldog. Now, if you're a subscriber to jeanspage.com, you knew this was coming. I've been hinting about it for about a week now. And there's some other people in our industry who said, oh, no, nothing's going to happen with him anytime soon. Well, guess what? Jack. He's committed. Khalid Moore, in my mind, in my estimation, is the number two linebacker in the state of Mississippi, the number one outside linebacker. I like Stone Blanton a little bit more, and Stone's a Mike. But I love Khalid Moore. I love his game. And uh, to be fair, you know, there's some people that uh, in the media, Robbie Falk being one of them, you know, when 
Robbie and him were covering the Louisville High School state championship game. He talked about Khalid Moore, and that was before things had really gotten going. He said, this is a guy that really is a pretty good player here. And next thing you know, Mississippi State's on him. Ole Miss is on him. A handful of other schools get on him. This kid can really play. Everybody's like, you know, well, Steve, who do you compare him to? You know, it's like, well, you know, everybody thinks about the last group, right? You know, well, he looks a little bit like John Lewis. And that's true, too. I like Lewis a little bit more, though. But the thing that I love about Khalid Moore is he is that long, lean, spread linebacker that can get out and play in coverage, but also, too, a guy that can get into the backfield and make plays behind the line of scrimmage. I absolutely love his game. I'll have a scouting report up on him later today on Gene's page. This is a great in-state commitment. He tells me the coaching staff wants him working on Jaheim Otis, who is a defensive tackle from Columbia High School. It's about 30 minutes away from Popperville. So if they want to get together and go to Wards and have a hamburger, they can do that, right? Maybe they can meet in Lumberton. I don't know. But the bottom line is, this is a guy right there at his own neck of the woods that uh, he's going to be working on. Listen, I know everybody's on Jaheim Otis, but here is what Mississippi State is building. Mississippi State, five commitments in the class, four of the five from Mississippi. You start getting these in-state kids that are all going to be Danny Dozen guys and Mississippi Alabama All-Star guys and guys that are going to have their name in the paper. These are guys that are going to be reaching out to other guys saying, hey, listen, let's go together. Let's go together and do something great. Khalid Moore is a very articulate and intelligent young man. That guy will be very good on telephone. He's going to be good in person. And then you watch his film, and you're like, you know what? This kid's got credibility. There are a lot of kids out there that can talk a good game. He can play one, too. And so he is a guy that's going to carry some respect and credibility. And so when he says, you know what? I'm going to Mississippi State. We should all go together. There are going to be some kids that listen. They're not going to make a decision based on what he says. But here's the deal. When you've got a handful of guys out there, you know, around the state of Mississippi recruiting other Mississippi kids for you, that's a big thing. You know, one of the things that I have heard in recent days – is that Zach Arnett and Mississippi State have informed Stone Blatt that, you know, he's he's the future leader of the defense. Also told that uh, Stone's been told that, you know what, it's going to be a great recruiting class in Mississippi. You need to be the ringleader. You need to be the guy in here recruiting these other Mississippi kids to come play with you because you're going to be the leader of our defense. And so I know he's receptive to that. Stone Blanton grew up dreaming of playing at Mississippi State. He did. He committed to Mississippi State baseball for that very reason. Little did he know that his football uh, you know, options were going to explode the way they have. But he's a bulldog. That's not to say that he's not going to enjoy the process a little bit. But I think in many respects, you start getting all these offers and you get all excited, then you kind of come out of the clouds a little bit. And somebody's like, hey, listen, you know, it's always been your dream to come here. Chances are you're going to be here anyway. Why not do it sooner rather than later? And then you can kind of help us put this class together. And so that's kind of the thing that I've heard is kind of the pitch right now about Stone Blanton. Stone Blanton is legit. You get Stone Blanton and Khalid Moore, I don't care who your third linebacker is. I really don't. You get those two, you've got linebacker handled. And then you can maybe go get a developmental guy, you know, because at some point they're all developmental. But Stone Blanton and Khalid Moore, both of those guys understand a couple things about football that a lot of people don't. The number one thing is you've got to go get the football. That's the first thing. Second thing is you got to embrace a weight room. They're already there. Now, they still got some baby fat on them because they're still in high school. Once they get up here with Tyson Brown, invest 12 to 18 months of their lives, they're going to look completely different. But these are guys that have 
respect among the state as players, but also, too, these are guys that respect the process and they have a really commitment to improvement. And so you get those two, you feel really good about your defense. I love that tandem together. And listen, I expect State – State's going to take two linebackers for sure, maybe a third. But you get Stone and Khalid together, and all of a sudden they're beginning to recruit together in State and go get, recruit your third linebacker. Uh, I like those odds because these young people get committed not only to the university and the coach, they get committed to each other. It's a big part of this thing. And so you're beginning to kind of build that esprit de corps. I expect State to go on a run. We've talked about it a little bit here on the show. I expect State to go on a run in State here in the next few weeks. I think it's a good chance you add Carter Edwards to the class here in the next couple weeks. I think it's a really good chance you add Trent Singleton to the class here in the next few weeks. I think it's a really good chance that um, – you get Don Terry Russell, DeMonte Russell's brother, in the class sooner rather than later. And then all of a sudden you start getting these Mississippi guys together, and all of a sudden they're in the DMs and they're texting and there's a group text and said, listen, we want you to be a Bulldog. It's a full-court press. It's a lot easier to make that decision when there's people that you know they are going to be there to help you deal with the consequences, right? Good, bad, or indifferent. So I like what we're doing in the early going. A lot of people have asked about Tanner Bailey. Uh, you know, it's earlier in the week, a lot of people were, were trying to convince me that Tanner Bailey was going to South Carolina. Uh, that's not the information that I had, and I shared that. And, of course, there's some people that are like, oh, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, then all of a sudden he goes to Oregon and doesn't visit South Carolina. Now it's like, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, listen, Oregon has the juice right now, but I don't know if he's going to pull the trigger on that or not. He, he might. Joe Moorhead's been recruiting Tanner Bailey now for two years. And so there is a long-standing relationship there. Mississippi State has recruited him exceptionally hard from his own mouth. Mississippi State among the hardest to recruit him. He has a brother that's in class here at Mississippi State. I think Tanner Bell, he's a great quarterback. I do think Mississippi State's still very much in the mix because of the people that I talk to. But I also understand that Tanner Belly is a guy that's uh, going to have a lot of options. And you know what? One of the things that I look at is a detriment for Mississippi State to, to think about getting a, a bona fide blue chip quarterback in this class is you signed two last year and the guy that started for you is a COVID freshman. So you got three freshman quarterbacks. And so that's the one thing you look at and say that's the one negative when it comes to Mississippi State and Tanner Bailey. He loves the offense. He loves Mike Leach. He loves the proximity from home. He loves the fact he's already got some friends over here. But then I got to look at that depth chart and say, okay, listen, when am I going to play? And so that's something Mike Leach and his group will have to overcome. I don't know if Tanner Bowie is going to commit to Oregon or Mississippi State or Alabama A&M. I don't know that. But I can tell you that Mississippi State continues to recruit him hard, and Mississippi State is among his favorites. And I also can tell you, too, that a lot of people that uh, were trying to convince everybody in the world earlier this week that he was going to South Carolina are not trying to tell you he's going to Oregon. So I don't know if we should believe anything just because they say it, because they've proven so far that their word didn't work a whole lot. So let's just kind of leave it as it is. But uh, the one thing I'm not going to worry about the entire time that Mike Leach is here is quarterback recruiting. Not going to worry about that in the least, because Mike Leach knows what he's doing. He will find a great quarterback for Mississippi State. And if that means he has to take a scratch and dent guy this year because of the fact that uh, some of these blue chips are scared to come in here and compete, it's probably best we find out now before, before he goes and hits a portal, right? You know, if you want to come to Mississippi State, you better be ready to compete. I don't want anybody around me that doesn't want to compete. I'm an I'm a ultra-competitive person. The only people around me that I want to be 
unmotivated and undriven people are my opponents. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, I want to be at my best, but if you guys want to take a day off, it's cool with me. Yeah, I'm going to grind through every day and I'm going to work hard every day. And if you don't want to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to chastise you for it. I'll just let you go ahead and do your one article a day. That's fine. You know, it, it just doesn't make any difference to me. And so I would rather have anybody on my team, though, be ultra competitive. And so Mike Leach is like that. It's why they do midnight maneuvers. That's why they make everything competitive is because they're trying to, you know, pull it out of people. And so I'd rather find out now that you're not willing to compete than find out, uh, you know, six months into this thing and you decide to hit the NCAA transfer portal. Would rather find out now that you don't want to compete. And listen, you only get a short time in life to play football. I get it. You know, that's a big part of the thing. You know, it's like, you know what, I got to go somewhere I can play. That's cool, too. You know, I, I get it. I understand it. But whoever Mississippi State signs a quarterback this year, you better believe they're going to be a good player because that's what Mike Leach does. He cultivates, recruits, and develops quarterbacks. And so whether it's Tanner Bailey or whether it's uh, the Locke kid or whether it's somebody completely different, it's going to be okay. I'm not worried about the depth chart at quarterback at Mississippi State. I, had, I haven't forgotten that we signed Sawyer Robertson. Right? I hadn't forgotten that Will Rogers is coming back and has got four more years left to play. Not going to be the least bit worried about quarterback recruiting this year or any other year under Mike Leach, I can assure you. If you had not done so, let me encourage you to go to alphadogsthebook.com and you can order personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, you can find it at starkvillains.com. Chad Dacus, uh, the bearded one of the Left Field Lounge, wore his Stark Villain shirt when we threw the no-hitter on Sunday. So that means Chad has to wear that shirt every ballgame now. So, Chad, you might want to stock up and order a few extra ones. You should, too. Starkvillains.com. Love to see you out there sporting it in the lounge. But until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org.